In today's episode of Board Game Impact, Josh and I are going to discuss the games we've been playing recently in this very interesting time in the world. So stay tuned. Hello and welcome to another episode of Board Game Impact. As always, I am Bruce and I'm joined by... This is Josh. And uh, so Josh, we're in some interesting times in the world. Um, I know we are both in a shelter in place order at the time of this recording. Um, So does that mean that we are not gaming, Josh? Absolutely not, Bruce. No, if anything, actually, it's been super uplifting for us of like to have an outlet and to have access to such an amazing hobby that still enables us to do something cathartic. But Josh, that doesn't mean gaming is the same. So what what style, what types of gaming have you been doing? Sure. So the, the bulk of my gaming has really been coming in two forms right now. The first is a lot of uh, two player games with my wife, um, you know, just setting up, spending an evening playing through uh, a, a game, just the two of us really exploring some of those um, different storytelling games, uh, stuff that that's a little less heavy, um, but a, a little bit more lighthearted um, and enjoyable. And then the, the other side of that is, um, weirdly enough, really being able to reconnect with some members of old game groups that I'm no longer get to hang out with and, and game with because they live in other places. So uh, spending a lot of time actually with folks from my college years playing uh, games online, which uh, we'll talk a little bit more about what that looks like um, throughout the episode. But yeah. what about you, Bruce? Yeah, so it's honestly a lot of the same. Um, I will say, so I used to have Game Nut on Tuesday nights um, and then on Sunday nights, Sunday afternoons, and Honestly, for my wife and I, it's a lot of just two-player games. During the week, we're actually finding ourselves, if anything, more busy um, just in this state because we're cooking a lot more. We're doing those kind of things. And so we're actually reserving our games as something to look forward to on the weekends. Um, So we're playing a lot of two-player games on the weekends. Um, We just finished some cooperative stuff, competitive stuff. Now we're digging digging into some cooperative. We'll talk about that in a minute. Um, But then a couple nights later at night when uh, some of my buddies... um, put their kids down to sleep, uh, we've been hopping on and playing some online games too, um, whether it be role-playing games or other things too. So it's just been actually really cool to connect in some different ways, uh, but it definitely took a couple of weeks for us to settle into a rhythm where we felt we had the capacity for that, just to be honest. Um, but we're there and we're thankful to have this hobby to kind of support us in this. Um, so why not just jump right in, Josh? Um, you kind of uh, you set the tone there and foreshadowed some things. So why don't you dig into something you've been doing? Sure. So the first thing I wanted to kind of talk about is a game that, that came actually while we were in quarantine. It, it I got the notice that was delivered uh, to my office. So I actually had to run up to the office and, and grab it. Um, maybe a little bit of a violation of the stay at home order, but, um, couldn't leave packages hanging outside my office door all day. So, um, and this is Everdell, um, a little bit of an older game, but specifically, uh, got a chance to play it with the Pearl Brook and Belfair expansions. Nice. Um, so Everdell, uh, published by Starling games, really, really fantastic, uh, little, um, 
Tableau Builder slash Worker Placement. So in Everdell, you have uh, a set of workers, and these workers are cute little forest critters. Um, so you've got rabbits and hedgehogs. And once you get all of the expansions, Bruce, I don't know if you've seen this or not. I but have. I, you, the game maxes out at six players, even with the variants for the expansions. But you have about 18 or 19 different figures that you can choose from in terms of characters is that many Um, once you get all of the expansion so it's a lot a lot to choose from there but you you basically have these little critters and you're sending them out um in a worker placement style of game to gather resources from the forest and so you are woodland critters living in a forest civilization um, you're gathering berries to gather new people to your village. You're gathering uh, wood, uh, stones, and amber, which will help you build buildings in your little village. Um, and then the two expansions that I have, the Belfair expansion um, adds a bunch of little modules. The Pearlbrook expansion adds a whole new section of the board, which is the river Um, and a new resource that is the pearls. And so um, pearls you'll use to score some victory points later in the game. But once you've sent your people out, you've been gathering some things, you then have a a big deck of cards that uh, you have some in your hand. There's an open market on the board that anyone can purchase from. And then you can always draw cards using different actions as well. And what you're doing is you're then taking these cards, which represent buildings or people um, or critters, and you are building out a tableau of your section of the city of Everdell. And so you're using, like I said, your, your resources to build buildings. One of the really cool, interesting things about this game, work, uh, people, attracting people to your village costs berries. Hmm. However, each person has an associated building to it and so if you build the building first you can get the worker for free so let's say you have the uh an example is there's a general store building and there's a shopkeeper if you build your general store you can and you have the shopkeeper in your hand or it's on the general supply you can just take that shopkeeper and put him in your general store for free Hmm. Um, really, really interesting way, uh, mechanic in terms of how you build out this tableau. Um, some of those cards are going to give you immediate actions. Some are going to give you actions that repeat between rounds. Um, some are going to give you just ongoing bonuses and benefits. Um, so it just kind of depends on what those cards look like. Um, and then all of them are worth some amount of points at the end of the game. So ultimately you're trying to score the most points by attracting people, critters and building buildings in your tableau. There are also some, um, rewards for additional, um, uh, I'm going to blank on what they call them in the game, but they're basically, um, bonus points that you can get if you have the right combination of worker and building um as well as um the the pearlbrook expansion adds these monuments and so i talked about pearls being an additional resource so um with the pearlbrook expansion your monuments will require 
use of the wood, stone, amber, and then also pearls. And then those are worth some pretty big points if you can get that combination hmm. um, at the end of the game. Really, really like deceptively deep game um, because it it does look like you pick it up, you look at it. My wife loves this game just because of the artwork and the the tree. Um, yeah, the tree. So I didn't talk about the tree. Um, the Everdell tree is a giant um, cardboard, like cardboard literally a tree, sandy tree, um, which is part of the board. Um, the Belfair expansion that I played with in this one, um, one of the modules actually removes the tree from the board and you have the Belfair, which is a um, village fair. And so there's some additional action spaces on that board. So you knock the tree out of the way because it would block that section of the board. Um, but really, really cute, lovely, wonderful game. The artwork is absolutely out, out, outstanding. Um, but it is very deep and complex mm -hmm. in terms of a strategy and, and really economic resource management game. Um, I think it's fantastic. Uh, the reason why it just came in is I had not backed it previous. Pearlbrook is actually an older expansion. Um, the most recent Kickstarter that they did was um, Belfair, and then there was another one. What was the other expansion? Um, sorry, I'm going to blank on that right now. Uh, anyway, the, the other two expansions that they came out with for the most recent Kickstarter, didn't play with the other one, did play with Belfair and Pearlbrook. Spirecrest? Spirecrest, thank you. Thank you. Spirecrest was the other. I thought both Pearlbrook and Belfair added um, some really nice depth to the game uh, and ability to kind of go back and, and add some replayability. Uh, because you can set up these modules in different ways, they give you some different paths to victory. Um, they're much less straightforward paths to victory than than in the base game. So cool. I really enjoyed it. Really looking forward to trying the Spire Crest. It looks really fun, really interesting. Uh, just haven't had a chance to get that one to the table yet. That's awesome. And so was there a deep like transitionary curve to adding in these expansions or did they seem like a natural progression? Cause like, that's the thing with some expansions, right? It can seem like a completely new game or it's just like, no, this fits like perfectly. So with the Pearl Brook, I will say the Pearl Brook adds some kind of, it, it does not feel overwhelming by any means. I think you could legitimately teach Everdell with Pearl Brook and, and not really have any issue. Um, with the Belfair, the Belfair isn't really a standalone expansion. It is a bunch of different modules. Oh, okay. Um, and so you can add as much or as little to those as you want. I think we added most of them. Um, there are a couple that we left out. Um, but again, those modules don't feel overwhelming really. Um, you know, I wouldn't say that at any point this feels like a new game, okay. um, or, or like it doesn't fit in. I have, from what I've seen, I think Spirecrest is going to be a little bit more of a steep learning curve. Um, there seems to be, it seems to have this whole new mechanic that you really need to understand to take advantage of. So hmm. I think there's going to be a bit more learning curve to that one. 
But again, we'll just have kind of have to wait and see. Yeah. Um, hopefully I can provide an update shortly. Yeah. But it sounds like you're going to be getting it to the table more. Cause like, obviously you said she likes it a lot. So like, just have fun with that. That's awesome. And I'm glad that y'all have that in all of this. Um, so we actually played through a, um, a campaign of a game. Um, it took six different scenarios to get through and that's not as that's how many scenarios you go through to play the whole game. Um, but there's different paths through and this game is Arcadia quest. Um, so Arcadia quest came out a couple years ago. It's by Simon or at the time it was like made, it was cool mini or not still, um, and spaghetti Western games. So the same crew that brought you like the zombie sides and things like that. Um, uh, although some of that you have guillotine games as well. Um, but Arcadia quest is essentially a lighthearted dungeon crawl, but in like buildings and through a town. Um, and in Arcadia Quest, you start the game um, by actually, before the game, drafting heroes. So you draft from a deck of heroes and you have little chibi minis for each of these heroes. They're adorable. Um, we want to kind of want to paint all of ours. Um, but you you get three heroes and then you get this, everybody gets the same starting equipment that you outline. It's like five cards and each hero can hold a total of four cards. So you could like dump all the gear onto one hero and on your turn, you're going to be running around. So it's either you're moving, which includes like opening doors or going through a portal to go somewhere else on the map. Cause there's portals on maps. Um, or you're going to be attacking or you're going to move and attack or attack and move. Um, and it's actually kind of similar to some aspects of role-playing games like D and D where I feel like you're up and close on somebody. That's the only time like the monsters really do anything. Um, there's not like a monster turn. Essentially, if you're within a orthogonal space of so North, South, East, West of them, then, and you try and move out of that space or into their space, um, then they're going to try and attack um, because they're like, Hey, I see you. Uh, Cause they're all like on guard. They're all on like guard duty. Uh, but the theme of Arcadia quest is a vampire is just being a vampire. Like no kidding in it. It says like, Oh, of course I'm going to take over the town cause I'm a vampire. And with that being said, he is now off. His name's Lord Fang. He's in this mansion in the middle. Um, and you play, there's an outer ring and inner ring, and then the temple of dawning twilight. Um, and so you pick three of, there's like seven outer rim ones. Um, whoever wins a scenario gets to pick the next map. Uh, and then you, then there's four in the inner circle and you're only going to play two, uh, two of those. And then you're going to play than the Temple of Dawning Twilight, which is the final mission. So the whole game is like run around, fight these things, do the mission. Um, so some of them have you like save things. Some of them have you like just destroy different types of monsters. Um, but you're always going to be, except for the last scenario, you're always going to get rewarded for killing your your the people you're playing with. Um, cause it's a lot like Mario Kart, but with a respawn. Um, so like at the end of every scenario you get, you use the money that you collect. Cause whenever you kill something, you get money because you loot the bodies. Um, and there's a, um, there's five decks of cards of random gear. So you're each gonna, you're not going to go through the whole deck cause each person is going to have six cards and it's a draft of these cards. And so you're going to be constantly leveling up your characters, getting different things. So at the end of the game, by that sixth scenario, you're like, oh, I like my character's freaking awesome. But the only mission it's no longer get points for, um, hurting your opponents. It's kill Lord Fang. That's the only thing or knock him out in this case. Um, it was a ton of fun. Um, I won. So you win the whole thing, Josh, by killing Lord Fang in the sixth scenario. 
But then it's a thing of you tally up. There's points for like how, who had the most money each game, who uh, who won the most scenarios, who got the most titles. Because like you can have like bonuses by doing different things um, that are that play out on different maps. So it has like a storytelling part. But whoever kills Lord Fang wins. But how well you did on the other ones determines like how good of a victory you have. So like no kidding, Josh, I won six. I bet you can guess which one I didn't win. I'm, I'm going to say the last one. Yep, Josh, the last one. Um, I had my characters in the room with Lord Fang for like six turns. This dude kept healing every freaking turn. And he needed 30, he has 13 health. I got him to took 10 away of that. Finally, after six turns of constantly doing the things. And Caitlin just comes in and like pokes him with a stick. <laughs> And like snipes the kill out from under me. She's like, well, I win. <laughs> Sorry, I'm a little uh, heated by only that. Only you, Bruce. Only you. <laughs> so I have to say I'm a little jealous uh, about this one because I've played the introductory scenario to Arcadia Quest probably half a dozen times oh. and have never played any other quests in arcadia quest it gets a lot um, better after that first one yeah you know i've never really i've always played it because it's what other folks have wanted to play it's never really been a huge thing i'm not huge into dungeon crawls in general but i i do think it would be a lot of fun to go through the entire thing um, from start to finish but as in most uh legacy or or campaign based games really hard to do that sometimes when you play as many different games as we sometimes do that's true and so that's why we actually took this opportunity because it was a thing of we have the time but here's the thing we were able to play it out in like two days we spent one saturday and then a tuesday night so we played through um four scenarios in one day because each one's only like 45 minutes maybe an hour um, now, the first game took us a little longer because that's when we had to look up rules. But then that Tuesday night, we finished the game in half an hour reset for the next board because it's all modular boards and then played the final scenario. That one took like two hours in itself um, just because we wanted to like really immerse ourselves. But like, yeah, it was like two days. It was awesome. That's great. That's great. Yeah. Um, now, Bruce, I do want to call out one thing you said way back at the beginning of this explanation and, and yeah. that is you called it Simon. So are we are we refusing to acknowledge their shift to come on? I am absolutely refusing to acknowledge that shift. That's one hundred percent true. And I'm just gonna say this just because it's the name of your stock ticker. So the four letters for their stock ticker because they're traded on the Hong Kong stock exchange. Well not mm -hmm. right now. We can talk about that later. Um there it's cm uh, cmon and so it's like you don't need to name yourself after your stock ticker name like you don't need to do that but no i'm gonna go with uh, with simon um i'd rather say cool mini or not or not yeah i i will say simon just easier so i'll, I'll yeah. stick with simon myself but um no that's awesome bruce i like i said really jealous that you got a chance to go through the whole thing um really glad that you had a good time with it it, it definitely sounds like caitlin had a good time with it as well which of course, we always love when our wives enjoy yeah, games she, with us. She'd actually like to play it again. Oh, but that's that's could, very interesting. So do you feel like there is a lot of replayability once you've completed the campaign? Actually, I do, because we only played half of the maps. 
And since you only get six cards each and then you draft within each other of the items, like each thing had like a deck of cards of items and we didn't see some items. So like what items come out, but then you have six in the end and you can only buy three. Um, so what items you actually go with and like how you level up your characters, like, and then the fact that there's in the base game alone, there's like at least like 14 to 16 different characters and you're only playing with three. Um, so there's like a ton, a ton of things. Yeah. So we'd actually like to play it again. And so Bruce, that was actually my next question is how much, um, additional stuff do you have for Arcadia quest? Is it just the base game that you own? It's sadly just the base game. And then one expansion hero, we do have nibbles. Um, and that's part of why we were playing it because nibbles is this like jacked bunny rabbit in like base in like football gear. Um, but he's kind of like rabid. Um, and so like I had a killer bunny running around the board on, um, Easter Sunday when we were playing this. Awesome. Awesome. Well, that's yeah. really exciting. Um, yeah, there's a ton, there's of, a ton of, of additional stuff, different yeah. additional characters, additional miniatures expansions so it's whole um, different scenarios and then you've got now starcadia quest which is this in space like there's a ton um but no i just have the base game and we love it and like there's still a lot of content there well great great that's awesome yeah i'm, I'm glad to hear it so bruce as I just said that I'm not a huge fan of dungeon dives uh, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll clarify that statement a little bit here and say generally not a huge fan of dungeon diving in board games but but the next thing I wanted to talk about is just a giant dungeon delve and and that is the, the that I've gotten back into D&D um, so I have played D&D off and on for years and years and years been a while since I've been in a campaign. My last DM um, started a uh, PhD program, and so I know that feeling. A while back, just kind of <laughs> tapped out and said, between teaching and and doing all of this work, I just I can't do it right now. So um, he bowed out, and you know. That group of game friends that that I've kept, um, it's it's the same guys that I used to game with back when I was in uh, grad school, all in Illinois besides me, um, and then our more recently somebody else has moved away. But uh, you know, we'd been talking for a while about wanting to pick back up and wanting to play some more, and so um, we That's decided awesome. to go ahead and and take the plunge, um, given. That, that everybody has the time right now to dedicate to, to doing something. Um, and I'm doing something I haven't done in probably five, four, four years now. And that is, I am actually DMing this campaign. Uh, Good so, for you. So we decided um, I don't really have the mental capacity right now to write something. So just running a, a module from wizards of the coast uh we're running the uh, dungeons of the mad mage module which is a really really interesting module if you if you've never looked at it dungeons of the mad mage is one of their longest modules ever released for at least for fifth edition and it is a monster dungeon it is um 
I believe it's 23 <sighs> layers. That's of, like the giant one, right? Yeah. 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 I've, I've looked through um, this book. It's underneath Waterdeep. Um, oh. And so you, you start in a tavern in Waterdeep and you go down, um, tunneling down through these different layers of, of this dungeon to get to the Mad Mage at the bottom. And it is it is a monster. I'd say easily we've got eight months to a year of content in this one book, if not more. Um, eight months. Eight weeks or eight months is what um, folks who play hardcore D&D say it will take you to get through this. Sure. Um, our sessions are, are restricted a little bit. We're still only doing two to three hour sessions, not like eight, nine hour sessions. So. It, also, it also depends on like how much is the party because I've played a lot of D&D too, especially over the last two years. Um, but like how much the party actually goes towards the mission or it's like, you know what? I'm going to mess around in town. Yeah. I, I think with the group that we have, we're going to be – and because this isn't really a campaign designed around a lot of role-playing, it's 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 a dungeon dive. It is pre- pretty constant. Um, I don't think we'll have a whole lot of the side questing, messing around, but, but I definitely think we're going to be spending a lot of time just – I've gotten through the first level of the dungeon in my prep – and I'd say we've easily got five or six game sessions just awesome. in the first of 23 levels. So I'm really excited to kick this thing off. We we just finished character creation uh, and we are scheduled for our first uh, game session on Sunday. So I'm really, really excited about this. Um, so that's yeah, really Bruce. exciting. And um, it's awesome that you're doing like helping them and um, being the DM. I know like I've been DM for the games that we've been running um, or had been running. We kind of took a pause for a while or in last semester. But um, I know like I get a lot of anxiety like leading up mm-hmm. to that of like, do I have enough? Like, how well do I know this? Like, how you doing with that? You know, I again, because of using the module, I think that's helped a lot. Um, I feel pretty, pretty solid with where I'm at right now. Have a little bit of, you know, butterflies just because like I said, it's been a while since I've done this, but you know, one of my, one of my, uh, guys in the game group has been playing D and D for longer than I have. And, you know, his thing was, he's like, you know, I haven't played D and D in, eight or nine years. Hmm. And so I want to play a character. I'm like, you know what? Like that's totally fair. I will, I will run this thing. I've been wanting to run a module for a while now. Um, I really enjoy kind of leading my, my players through that experience. Um, especially because one person in the campaign is brand new. I've uh, okay. never played D and D before. And so I really love introducing new players to, to D and D. Yeah. And so I'm excited. Definitely have some, some butterflies about some of the, um, prep work, you know, not really sure if they are, um, going to be invested in the kind of role playing aspects as much as I am. So, just going to be really interesting to see kind of how this whole thing plays out, but I couldn't be more excited awesome. to, to get this rolling. So with that being said, I just need to ask you one question mm-hmm. with if there's somebody out there and is like, you know what? 
now like we're needing an escape from reality a little bit and you know it'd be nice to like jump into this world and like do these things and it seems like i'm going to need to be the dm is do you, if you invest the time is do you get the reward i think so absolutely and if if you've never dm'd before there are some really great modules out there for you to kind of start with and sink your teeth into. I highly recommend um, the Minds of Fendelver, which is now free. Yes, um, now free. And also the, so it was the first module. It's the module they introduced fifth edition with. Um, And, and it is the perfect jumping off point for introducing yourself to D and D if you've never played before or to DMing if you've never done that before. Very light. The uh, book gives you a lot of descriptive language that you can use in terms of kind of describing the setting. And, and I really think, you know, that was one of, that was the first time I ever DM'd was using that book. And it really taught me how to engage my players in meaningful dialogue and giving them kind of an outline of what they were seeing, what they were experiencing, because it kind of built all of that in. And now I can go back as a DM with a book that is much more vague, much less um, kind of flowery in its language and, and just kind of break it all down and be like, okay, so here's what you're seeing. Here's what's in front of you and then knowing kind of what those checks are going to be for them to learn more information. I I think that you can, if you're willing to put in the work and it is some additional work learning all of the rules, but I think you can have a really, really great time with it. I I talk a lot about how D and D has been so heavily influential in my life in general Um, from a creative perspective thinking standpoint from a creativity standpoint um you know from a socialization standpoint you know i think DD is a a wonderful game and right now i can't think of a better time to kind of dive into something with with DD. yeah absolutely and i thank you for that phenomenal explanation and we'll have to dig deeper into role-playing more as we go on um especially with the fact that I'm about to talk about a role-playing game too. Um, so there's a group that I had been playing with um, who had a child about a year ago. Um, and it was my wife and I and this other couple and then another individual. Um, and after they had their kid, it's just been a little harder for us to come together and play. Well, with this being said, we wanted to find a way, well, how the heck are we going to play a game with somebody remotely and so it's like you know what there are these things called one page rpgs like you can search just like one page rpg and it's a one page of the rule set and what you need to know and they're designed to be completed in like two hours to like four hours tops um usually very simple rule set just using like a d6 so a standard die that just people have in all sorts of games and so i picked one that was just kind of fun and just um rather random and so i picked Honey Heist, um, which is by Grant H. Um, so Grant H uh, made this. Um, it's available for free on Reddit, but if you want to, you can show him some love over on Patreon. Um, but Honey Heist is a game where all the players are bears. 
And there's two stats. Well, there's technically one stat, but it's bear or criminal. And what it is, is there's a thing called honey heist going on, which means the, a honey con going on. And the bears need to try and steal all the honey from the honey convention. And then there's like a secondary prize too. And that for us, we rolled a D6 and the one I got for us, because I was DMing this or, or BMing this, um, so bear managing, um, was the what was it? The beehive of Abraham Lincoln. So I was like, it's, it's a bear ham Lincoln's beehive. Um, ends up, it was a fake though. So they didn't know that until they stole it. Um, but the thing is I gave them two options. I said, okay, do you want like a real world or do you want like a Zootopia? But the animals are still kind of animals and they went with Zootopia. So that way I was able to throw in other animals, but essentially like, yeah, there were these bears running around town. Um, one of them ended up getting like knives and like a sniper rifle. Um, another, because that was a thing. Um, they ended up uh, sneaking into this convention by um, somehow getting extra money and buying. One of them bought a press badge. Another one took wear like the uniform of a bellhop. Like it was amazingly funny. Um, and then they ended up trying to seduce one of the bears. Like the they ended up trying to seduce this koala bear that was running the whole thing, who of course was Lotso Huggin from um, uh, Toy Story 4. Um, <laughs> it, was, it was just this fun, like stupid little adventure that was super simple to run as a, as a, as a GM, as a game master. Um, and I'd encourage it. Just look that stuff up. Um, it, was a, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, Honey Heist is something that that I've heard about a lot. Um, I've actually listened to a few playthroughs and actual play podcasts, and I think it's a fantastic little funny, light-hearted game. Um, Bruce, my question right now is, are you planning to uh, run through Honey Heist 2? So I have a PDF of 117 different one-page RPGs. I'm not kidding. Um, and so with that being said, we do want to do Honey Heist again. I want to play this time, though. Um, so the other couple might, one of them might be the GM. But we're actually thinking of pivoting and going with um, uh, lasers and feelings um, for the next ones. So... Hmm how it works. I didn't actually talk about the mechanic. Um, and so what it is, if you want to do something and it's something a bear would do like attack something or like intimidate something or growl at something. Yeah. You just do that. Um, that's a bear stat. Um, but if it's anything besides that, you need to try and roll the die and you need to, so you start with a, um, and so it's a, it's a point scale with each of them being a three. And so you roll the die. And if your if your die is tied or less than that number, um, then you actually um, do it because then you move a point towards criminal. So now you need to roll a one or a two. And if the game ends, essentially, if somebody goes all the way to criminal or all the way to bear. Now you can always move stats closer to bear by eating a lot of honey. And you can move points towards criminal by doing a flashback to this like shady bar with like whiskey and cigars where the bears were planning, not kidding. That's in the rules um, where these bears are planning the heist. So you can like talk to everybody and like plan the cool thing that you want to do. Um, it's just stupid and funny, um, but it was actually kind of perfect. We, we played so, in like two and a half hours and that's including character creation. That's great. That's fantastic. Bruce, let me ask you, um, cause I, I'm, meant to mention this when I was talking about D&D, but were you using anything to facilitate this or were you just having like a Skype call or a Zoom call? We did Zoom. 
Um, and so it was my wife and I sitting next to each other and then they had their one camera up with their computer as well. I will say though, I Googled, so like some useful, like setting things for honey heist. Um, and so I found a list of like super bear pun names of like different things. Um, but like, like, Oh, hun. Um, so it was the name of a thing and it was like a feminist honey. Um, and it had like a description of the, of the, of the person that was leading it or like, um, buzzed was like an alcoholic honey booth. Um, so it was all like really funny bear or bee puns the whole time. Um, so it was just, I did equip myself with that, but again, I just Googled like fun things to throw into a honey heist game. That's great. So the reason I ask, um, is honey heist is kind of that small, light, easy to go game that you can really play within your mind's eye without too much difficulty. D and D with the rule set, especially in five E right now is, um, pretty intense on the rules. And so, uh, I, I just wanted to throw out a word here, um, in terms of what we are using, because like I said, Obviously, this is a distance game, um, especially with everybody scattered across the country. So we are using Roll20.net, which is a phenomenal tool. Um, you can use it for free if you want. Um, you can get some upgrades using the pro or premium uh, subscriptions. Um, and then also you can purchase your module books directly in the uh, Roll20 app, which will incorporate all of that in. So I just wanted to throw that out there as a really useful, helpful tool for facilitating uh, a distance D&D game or really any role-playing game. So one of the great things with Roll20 is that it doesn't have to be D&D. They have modules for all sorts of role-playing games, They, but you can really use it for any any type of role-playing game you want to you wanna do agreed in that system agreed and i've used roll 20 when i've done um, D D before even in person i just had a computer mm-hmm. turned on its side for like a map um so it's really cool so josh the question is do you want to talk about digital or do you want to talk about what we found on digital things um why don't we talk about what we found okay so um the world is an interesting place right now. I'm just going to acknowledge that. And there's a lot of people that might not be able to do this, um, but it's cool to see that these things are coming out um, and that they're exciting us. So if you're in a place to do these things, I encourage you to support these companies on here. But we found um, some different Kickstarters that are still happening in this space because uh, some have delayed. Um, and with that being said, um, we wanted to talk about these three real quick. So I'm going to toss one out here, Josh, Um, but that is Wormwood. Um, So Wormwood makes those phenomenal, like super high, nice wood, like dice trays and dice towers and things like that. And I've actually been watching their YouTube series. They've actually converted a lot of their plant to making these face shields for hospitals. Um, Like not face shields, but like a, it's a box to put over the head of a, of somebody getting surgery done. So like anything some coming out of somebody like wouldn't splash on them. Um, so like they're doing that at like no cost to the hospitals. So it's phenomenal. So if you're wanting to support them in that, this helps. Um, but they have actually for the first time, cause they usually do dice towers and dice and tables. They've done a um, Kickstarter for dice 
<laughs> for a change. Um, so they're really good with wood. Um, they just broke through their barrier and now have uh, unlocked wood as a compo- as a dice. They look awesome. That's the one I would like to do um, if my wallet was able to. Um, but they've also thrown in something cool for if you're looking for the role-playing game stuff, and that's called a high-variance dice. So um, at each of their milestones in their Kickstarter, if they hit those milestones, everyone's just going to get a D20. So that's a 20-sided die with one of these high-variance things. Um, and so you could get up to three of those just for backing at whatever level. Um, but a high-variance dice, so if you were to add up the numbers, um, so on, like let's say, a D6, so if you add up 1 plus 2 plus 3 plus 4 plus 5 plus 6, the average, if you divide that by 6, is 3.5. So what they did is they're like, oh, if there, you have these epic times... Um, you as a as a game master could give someone a high variance dice in which for a d6 there'd be two ones two sixes and then a two and a five so the average is still 3.5 if you average it out but it could go really well or really bad for that person because typically a one is an epic fail um and so like i would encourage especially look at the d20s for this because like that might be just something cool for like a D game. So if you're looking for that, it's just kind of cool that you could do that. Something different. You don't see that very, very often. So I just wanted to put that out there since we're talking about role-playing games. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that these are a really interesting little thing. I agree with you. I would love a set of these wooden dice if uh, my, my wallet could afford it right now. Um, I think, I'm a little surprised with they've gone gangbusters on this uh, mm-hmm. already and, and you know, have, have plenty of people pledging to it, but I'm a little surprised just because of kind of the state of the world right now. I, I didn't think a lot of Kickstarters would be doing that well. Um, I know that there's a lot of people who are frustrated that people are still doing Kickstarters right now, but I also understand you've put a lot of work and spent a lot of money in, in these things. And so you want to see them to fruition. Uh, and so, you know, I, I totally understand that, but I also understand people not being able to, to support the things that they want to support. Cause if I had it right now, I would 100% be, be putting in on those, uh, wooden dice. Cause those are real nice looking. And I will say just Josh, since you did bring that up, um, a lot of companies sometimes just need that initial capital. And then by having this unlocked, uh, by those who can, which the, the three, three things we're talking about have all been unlocked, definitely, um, by far. Um, then there's going to be retail editions of these things later. So as we evolve out of this, you're, you're going to be able to do it there. So Josh, why don't you talk about the one you found? Yeah, so this is, I don't know if this is so much as a found. Um, I just feel like we need to acknowledge I the agree. fact that um, Simon, uh, again, Simon. <laughs> has their new Kickstarter out, and I think everyone is going wild over this thing for good reason. Yeah. Uh, Of course, I'm talking about Ankh City of... or Gods of Egypt, sorry. Uh, And so this is the third in the trilogy of epic god-based board games. So... um, uh, created by specifically uh, Eric Lang and Adrian Smith doing the artwork. So the first one they did together being Blood Rage. Uh, The second one, of course, being Rising Sun, one of my all-time favorite games. And then this is their new one with an Egypt setting. Um, So uh, like I said, 
Blood Rage, Rising Sun, two phenomenal games. This combination just works yeah. uh, really, really well. You yeah. know, Eric Lang, outstanding, one of the best designers out there today. Um, Adrian Smith has done some phenomenal artwork with them. And then with the Simon studio behind them with the production quality, I, I don't think that you can really miss on this one. Yeah. Um, so very briefly, um, gods of Egypt is a competitive game in which two to five players assume the role of ancient Egyptian gods fighting against inexorable oblivion as history advances toward monotheism. So you are using powers and mythical guardians to gain followers, um, convince your followers to build monuments in your honor and inspire warriors to fight for their beliefs. Um, their devotion is what will sustain you for eternity. And so kind of has a lot of the same mechanics and feels in terms of territory control, monsters and miniatures being out on the board um, that mm -hmm. the the first two games in this series had. But the pledge on this, um, they only have one pledge level yep. as of right now. That is a $100 pledge for the game and all stretch goals um being that this is simon there are a ton of stretch goals um and some of almost, which are exclusive yeah i was gonna say almost all of which are are exclusive yeah. um pretty typical with a simon thing so Yes, I, I think this is the the Kickstarter that I've seen the most frustration with yeah. because a Simon really doesn't need the startup capital on this. Let's be honest, they're they're doing well enough. Well, they shouldn't need the right. startup capital on this. Um, and then the other thing that I know I I feel this a lot is that. Um, a lot of these CMON games, in order to really feel like you're getting the full experience of it, you really have to back it at Kickstarter. Um, you know, I've never purchased Rising Sun, despite it being one of my favorite games, because I can't get the Kickstarter edition. And I just don't feel like it's worth my my money for a non-Kickstarter version of this, these games. So yeah. I understand why people are frustrated by this going on right now, but if you can afford it, if you are, have, have not, have been blessed enough to be in a position where you haven't lost your paycheck and feel like you can support this. I, I don't think you're going to lose on, on this game yeah. at all. And honestly, so I love blood rage. I love rising sun. Um, I lived in Egypt for a summer. Like I lived outside of Cairo. I don't think you knew that Josh. Um, so like I lived on the East side of the Nile, um, in a, in an area called Ma'adi. Um, this is back in 2008, 2009, um, timeline. So just before the Arab spring. So it was a very interesting time to be over there. Um, so I've been to all the pyramids and stuff. I've been on the red sea. Um, it's like this one, like I have onks like in this room where I'm recording right now, like there's an onk behind me on the shelf. Um, and so like this one, like super speaks to me more than the other ones did. Um, and something cool that I just want to bring up, you can actually partner up with people and have like a co-op game within it, like two people going against. So like there's 
Ra and then there's Amun. And so like you can create Amun Ra, um, which is like a, a god together, um, which is sweet. Um, and that was, again, Egyptian lore. So I think it's super sweet. They've raised a ton of money with this. We wish Simon the best um, with all of this. And I, I really want to back this. I want to back this. Um, I, so we'll see. I have a feeling I will be despite... Yeah. Um, yeah, all of everything in my body telling me I shouldn't. Yep. I, I I don't think I'm going to miss it. Yep, 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 yep. Um. So with that being said, this is the next one I'm going to talk about, and where we're going to wrap the show is with one that is going crazy on Kickstarter, um, and that is Frosthaven. Frosthaven right now is um still got a lot of momentum going. At the time of this recording, it's like the number three most funded game on Kickstarter ever, um, which is insanely cool behind um Kingdom Death and Exploding Kittens, um, which Kingdom Death brought in 12 million and Exploding Kittens brought in 8 million. So you can do the math on probably where this one's right next to. Um, but that being said, Frosthaven is the standalone game that's essentially the follow-up to Gloomhaven. Um, Gloomhaven, which went gangbusters when it first came out, so by Cephalofair Games, um, Isaac Childress with all of that. Um, I have started Gloomhaven, and actually tomorrow um, I am restarting it because I only went like two can- two games in originally. Um, my wife and I want are going to play through, because we have the ability now, we're going to play through two-player, because that's like the ideal player count for Gloomhaven. We're going to play through, to the best of our ability, um, Gloomhaven starting tomorrow. So we're really excited about it. Frosthaven is the, again, standalone sort of expansion of story but it takes place in a different part of the world some of the same characters some new characters because it's in more of like a nordic area um and it's actually like cold at part of the year and like hot at part of the year um the cool thing about this one versus regular gloomhaven is you're actually going to be able to build up your town so you'll have stickers for like different buildings you can build in your town to like help your town weather the storm better or like do better things over time which is cool um so if you haven't played Gloomhaven, like it's awesome. Um, I've, I have played it a couple times, like I said, um, and I'm going to be digging more into it, but you essentially have a character who has a retirement goal. And when you hit that retirement goal, that character retires and you get to unlock new characters. So it's a campaign legacy game. Um, it's, it's huge. It's huge. Um, there is a couple different backer levels for this. I'm actually needing to pull it up real quick. Um, but the, base thing for it um, is essentially just the game uh, which is going to be pretty much everything you need the other stuff is just like if you want to add it in Um, so like if you want a copy of gloomhaven and all of that you can do that Um, and it's the page is loading Um, but the like the all 100 for base yeah 100 for just the base game and that's where i pledge to be transparent Um, with that being said i might add in the organizer for it because there's some add-ons you can do. Um, if you want metal coins, if you want removable stickers, you can do that. Um, what's cool about this is essentially Isaac took a D20 and made you gave you 20 cards where one's a fail and one's a crit, crit success. And then you can level up your deck and like change it over time. So that way, like your odds are still like rolling a die, but it's flipping a card. Um, there's other cool things. They've got a audio team that's going to narrate the different like story elements. So you can like click, like this is the mission I'm playing and they'll like read to you as like this, like amazing audio thing. I think that's kind of cool. I haven't ever seen that before. Oh no, I've seen that in mechs versus minions. Scratch that. 
Um, so yeah, so Frosthaven's going crazy um, in some cool ways. Um, congrats to Isaac and Cephalofair Games with this. Um, but the other thing I just wanted to point out is that um, Isaac is bringing in guest designers to design some custom scenarios for this, a lot of which come from the video game world. Um, but also like, uh, Nikki Valens is coming in here. We've talked about Nikki for some other games, um, on this podcast. So yeah. So Frosthaven, do you, Josh, what are your thoughts on Frosthaven real quick? So here's what I will say. I think Frosthaven will be a phenomenal game. Um, Isaac Childress is a genius. I'll just kind of yeah. say the, what it is. Yes. Um, I have never had a chance to really play Gloomhaven, though I, I've i always wanted to. But again, I have a hard enough time getting a eight game yeah. uh, campaign to the table trying to get. Now, if I had my D&D group here and, and were able to do this kind of with a D&D group like a D&D game. Mm hmm. This is what I would be doing, not D and D. Yeah, it's essentially D and D in a box. Want, I would want to get through this. I think this is a phenomenal game. I think Frosthaven will be just as good. Um, I see no reason why it wouldn't be. Uh, I am also. I think it's really cool that they have the broken token insert available immediately mm -hmm. um, which i think is a, just a really cool like way to do this with the kickstarters you can do it as an add-on or as a part of a package uh, bundle in the kickstarter again going to question the timing on this one it's yeah. a little different because isaac childress is a one-man you know company he he doesn't really have the the backing and the background that Simon has. So I get that when he's spent the money and, and done all the work on this, that he needs to run his Kickstarter when he does. But, um, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of people out there who would love to get this and just can't do it right now and can't swing it. And that that's really a shame because again, you're going to be able to get this. This isn't going anywhere it will be available for retail. It's just, you're going to spend a little bit more money yeah. on it in a retail edition. About 30%. Yeah. And, but again, congratulations to, to Isaac. I think that this is going to be a phenomenal game. I would love, 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 love to play this game. Just don't have the, the players to do it right now. So, that makes sense. And so, but listeners, I just want to say something that Josh touched on. You're going to be able to get this later. Um, the difference, though, between this and Simon, there's no difference between the one on Kickstarter and the one in retail, which I do appreciate that. Um, so that is Frosthaven. It's going to be up for uh, probably if you're listening to this at the time of the of this launching, you got about another week and a half. Um, so check those out. Um, but really, um, just want to say and just kind of close this out a little bit. Um, and with that being said. Like things have been really interesting. Um, we're thankful that we have this hobby, right, Josh? Like, absolutely, absolutely. And I'm I'm thankful that I'm in a position where I can continue to enjoy this hobby. I know there are folks out there that that aren't able to really spend a lot of time focusing on this because they're too worried with 
when their next paycheck is going to come from and a lot of other things. So I, I do want to acknowledge that we are in a very privileged position that we are both still working. Our My wife is still working. I'm not sure if your wife is still. Um, but, you know, we are really, really privileged and blessed to be in the positions that we are in and able to do these things. And so I just want to acknowledge that, that um, while we're still having a lot of fun and we really hope that, that, you out there are in a safe and good position that that you're also able to find some enjoyment. Um, a lot of these things can be done pretty cheaply, pretty simply. Like I said, um, I really encourage folks who don't have other outlets to explore Roll20. It mm -hmm. is a it, you can do it all for free. Um, you know, some of the digital games we had planned to talk to that we didn't. Um, you can find on Steam, Terraforming Mars, Scythe. Um, I actually just bought uh, a copy of Lords of Waterdeep Ooh. for like 10 bucks. You can usually get them for like 10 to $12. And so, you know, again, do what's within your means. But um, there are definitely some options out there to continue to find these enjoyments. Engage with your friends and family and communities um, and really build a sense of a social life even when you are practicing social distancing or or self-isolation yeah and josh i thank you for saying that i'm also going to throw out there go check out publisher websites so i know portal games i know stronghold games i know stonemeyer games i know many companies are posting actually free roll and write games um, or print and play games so go on bgg look up print and play um, or just google that print and play games or those one page rpgs all that stuff is free um, and research shows that if you are able to have something to look forward to, if you invest some time um, into doing something that's going to feel cathartic um, in which you get to kind of distract for a little bit um, or you're able to feel a sense of mastery of like feeling proud of being able to do something um, that showed to really make a positive impact on one's mental health. Um, and so I just want to encourage that. Like I know times can be very hard right now and um, and I just want us to see how we can make the most of the situation we're in um, and help ourselves and help those around us. Because um, it might not be you, but you might need to be that gamer for somebody else. Um, so wanting to put that all out there. So regardless of what's going on in your life, um, we just, we're here with you um, digitally. Um, we hope we're going to be keep putting out this, these episodes of this podcast so you can keep listening to this. Um, but we hope that you're safe. I hope that we hope that your family's safe, your friends are safe. And um, we just thank you for listening today. And hopefully this was a nice reprieve from everything in the world. Um, so thanks for listening to Board Game Impact. Um, if this has been helpful at all, like please go ahead and rate us in the podcast app um, and tell a friend about it so that way um, they can have something to listen to as well. Um, but like I said, um, thank you for just being here today. And uh, thanks to our phenomenal Patreon backers for helping us make this possible. Um, it's really thank you and we hope that you're doing great. Um, but with all that, just seriously go out there and make a positive impact. Um, I know we say that at the end of every, every episode, but I think now is needed more than ever. So go out there and make a positive impact on the world and we'll see you in two weeks. <laughs>